0: Next week, we'll be focusing on Jesus' ascension, and then we'll move to Pentecost, and that's kind of how we round out uh, the, this season of Easter as we follow uh, the, the lectionary calendar. That's what we've been doing. Uh, the lectionary calendar, especially for those that aren't familiar with it, is kind of a prescribed journey through Scripture uh, that kind of goes through, throughout the year, but we especially focus on it uh, around Advent and then uh, during Lent. As we have been following that, uh, we have uh, seen in the last couple of weeks scripture passages that are some of uh, the great stories of God's resurrection power, not just of the resurrection event, but also of some of the the healing and the miracles and and the other ways that we are seeing God's power lived out in uh, the weeks following the resurrection. We're also bumping into some passages which are some of the the grand summaries of our faith um, and this passage out of first john is one of those passages and so as we take a look at one of these grand summaries of the the faith the the victory that that conquers uh, through our faith uh, would you pray with me jesus may the words of my mouth the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you god um If we may be so bold, we'd ask for you to just hold off on on the rain here for a little bit so we can uh, continue our worship together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, just a little bit about the context of 1 John. 1 John is probably written by, take a guess, John. It's probably written by John, um, by the same John that writes... Uh, the Gospel uh, of John. Uh, scholars are unsure about which one actually comes first. It's possible that this letter or, or this direction, it's not really written as a letter like Paul's letters are. It's possible that this is written actually prior to the Gospel of John. Uh, it's probably written in the latter half of the first century. And both 1 John and the Gospel according to John, reflect a community of Jesus followers who have been separated, uh, possibly kicked out of life in the the Jewish faith. They have been separated from the Jewish temple. Eventually, uh, the followers of Jesus become persona non grata in the temple complex because they are following Jesus as the Messiah, and that's a very unpopular opinion among the Jewish establishment. This is possibly written right around the destruction of the temple by the Romans in the year 70. Some scholars place John and the community that kind of coalesces around John in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a very pagan city. There were a lot of temples to uh, pagan gods, very ornate temples, and and idols that had been constructed in Ephesus. Well, why does this all matter for this passage as we read it in 1 John? We're going to take a walk through this passage, and now that you have a little bit of that context, maybe in the back of your mind, uh, we hear this passage in a little bit different way. John's summary statement uh, that that Chet read for us begins like this. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ or or Messiah, uh, and this word Messiah was the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of the Jewish people for an anointed one. That's what the, the Messiah, that's what Christ means, the anointed one, to come and sit on the throne of David and for the world to be blessed, to be put to rights through the line of Abraham. And so this whole idea of Messiah had really taken shape since the Old Testament period, through the the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there was this expectation of one to come and to fulfill these these hopes and dreams. And, And the followers of Jesus were proclaiming that he was the one fulfilling that. So everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. Jesus talks about a a new heavenly birth. And in John's version of the gospel, there's this story of a a Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes in the middle of the night and wants to know what he needs to do to, to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to be born again from above. And it is very confusing to Nicodemus. Well, Uh, John, in this writing, is tapping into that same imagery that we need to be born anew, born from above, born in a new way, born of God. John writes, everyone who loves the parent, who is God, also loves the children. And in this context, uh, John is talking about all the siblings of Christ— all of the, the children of God. If you love the parent, you love the children. And verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. Uh, on 1st Pass, when we're, when we're just reading it out of this section of Scripture, maybe we have flashbacks to uh, the, the Ten Commandments or, or all of the other Old Testament commandments. But in the context of 1st John... He is talking about uh, love for one another. This is the commandment that Jesus gives, that you love one another. In John 4, uh, John writes, God is love. And he says that Jesus is how we know what love looks like. That If we abide in God, if we dwell in God, if we stay in God, we will also abide, dwell, stay in love. And in 421, it says, The commandment we have from Him, from Jesus, is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Verse 3 says, For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments, His commandment to love one another, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, a little bit about this. These commandments are not burdensome. Um, In Jesus' day, uh, the, the Pharisees and, and kind of the, the sages had collected all of these extra laws that were uh, ways to try and live out the Ten Commandments and the 600 laws of Leviticus. And they had piled laws upon that and they had become a burden to the people. It was so hard to live out the Ten Commandments, let alone the 600 commandments, let alone all of the other laws that had collected around this. And so John is saying this law is not burdensome. It hasn't been expanded. It hasn't gotten all of these other laws attached to it. The law is simple. Love one another. Now what John's not saying is that that is easy. Loving one another can still be difficult. It's not always easy for us. John goes on then in verse 4, For whatever is born of God conquers the world. This starts to get exciting for us. We start to hear about God's victory, about victory in Christ and and what this means. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Verse 5, Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? talking about victory and we start to get excited and hopefully some of you aren't i'm not sure you i know it's raining um but this is good news right this is about the victory uh of of christ over everything and our participation in that that is good news in my younger days i was uh tended to be hyper competitive i don't know if there's a gene for that it's kind of like an Olm family thing Um, We can turn bocce or or any, you know, croquet, we can turn it into a life or death situation real quick uh, with our competitiveness. Um, For me, it was, you know, baseball, football, volleyball, we were super uber competitive. Uh, I remember reading in this book when when we were little, um, I think it was from Grantland Rice. He was the the sports writer who once wrote, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And i got to be honest, for a long time, I really disagreed with Grantland Rice. I was like, winning is fun. Um, And so that's kind of what, what drove me. I like winning. But let's look at the context and dig into how John envisions the Jesus community's victory. Because verse 4, if we go back to that. This, and this is the victory that conquers. Those, those Greek words here, maybe this sounds familiar to you. Garrett, this word should sound familiar to you. And this is the nike that Nikeo. Okay, the nike, nike actually means victory. It's not just a random word that some company picked for marketing purposes. They picked a word that means victory. And this is the nike that nakao, the victory that victors, the the victory that conquers the cosmos. The victory that conquers the world Our, and this, I've used this word before, I've mentioned this word before, but this word for faith is, is, in the Greek, it's pistis, and it means faith, faithfulness, allegiance, fidelity. It's something that is lived out. It's not just a, a cerebral, you know, I, I intellectually agree with this faith statement. It is a way of living it out. And so the victory that conquers the cosmos is our faithfulness. It is our belief in Jesus as Messiah and our love for one another and our embodied commitment to those two core values Is the victory that conquers. Remember about John's audience and who John writes this to. He's writing this to a group of people who have been expelled from the temple. And now possibly that temple is lying in ruins in Jerusalem. And now they're living uh, amongst a a pagan city surrounded by pagan temples and shrines. They are meeting in house churches. Uh, It's probable that the first purposeful uh, building constructed for Christian worship is not built for another hundred plus years. And so everything around them, everything around the community of John doesn't say anything about victory. From, from an outside perspective, it very much looks like they are losing. They have been expelled from the temple. There's nothing grand about their place of worship. They're gathering in homes. They're, they're living as, as exiled people. And so despite evidence to the contrary, John is talking about victory. These followers of Jesus have no access to power. And yet John is writing about the faithfulness that uh, Nike Nakao, the victory that conquers the cosmos. And their victory is in their faithfulness to Jesus the Messiah and in loving one another. And yet 1 John is addressing schism and division within the family of Christ. He's not writing it to a people who are perfectly getting along with one another. And despite the outward appearance of being a conquered, wandering, disagreeing, schismatic people, John is writing about victory through faithfulness. At some point, things change for the the Jesus community. And under Emperor Constantine, the church gains access to political power. Eventually, grand cathedrals and, and basilicas are constructed across uh, the, the, the Roman Empire and across Europe and, and parts of Asia. Masses of people join the church, and in many cases, because they are forced to. Massive amounts of organizational structure surround the church. Massive coffers of state collected tithes help support the church. And I think too often from that point on in the West, And now in America, victory in the church has been defined by size of our building or our congregation, size of our budget or our bank account, and our access and and utilization of political power. And we ask questions like, are we able to legislate our morality in the wider culture? Now listen. A building is not necessarily bad. This is a great building, and it is a, can be a useful tool. And yet, if we allow it to become a cage or a way of making it us who have it all together versus them who are completely broken, then it becomes something that keeps us from the victory that conquers through faithfulness. A healthy attendance is not a bad thing unless it becomes that we're just saying stuff to make people happy and make people feel good, or we're trying to put on the best show, and then that's not really about faithfulness. Bank accounts and budget can help support the work of the kingdom, but they are not the goal engaging power now I I have to tread carefully on this one engaging power is often or usually very precarious because we don't handle power well and yet maybe with care we might engage the systems and speak to the powers that be and if size budget and access to power are how we are to define victory, then, friends, the church in the West is starting to lose. And then you can go through all the statistics, all of the surveys that have been conducted by multiple institutions, multiple groups, and if that's how we want to define victory, then we're not doing so great. But how John wants his community to define victory is through believing Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, and in Christ's atoning death and resurrection, and to follow Christ's command to love one another. These are the two core values that john is pressing into his community and this is how he defines victory through faithfulness to these two core values these two lists aren't always mutually exclusive the way we might define victory and how uh, faithfulness might end up being lived out these aren't necessarily two mutually exclusive lists. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and all this will be added to you as well. And maybe he means size building funds. But if we chase size, budget, and access to human power, we can almost guarantee that we will lose the victory of faithfulness to the message of Jesus and love for others. We're also learning that size, budget, and power, which the church has often pursued, can also be taken away. What we are called to, the the victory that victors, the victory that conquers, the victory that conquers the cosmos, is our faithfulness, is our allegiance to the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and our love for one another. And so this is the victory that you and I are called to pursue. And maybe that will be expressed in, in budget and, and attendance and, and building, maybe. And yet, what I, if I look through church history, if I look at the, the, the community that John is writing to, who's meeting in a house church, who has very little, the early church, who's, who's sharing things in common, Faithfulness does not always look like building, budget, and attendance. You and I are called to faithfulness, to pursue faithfulness. This is the victory that conquers. Jesus, help us to pursue you to pursue the good news of your life, your death, your resurrection in the place of sinners for the way that you want to to heal the world for for all things to be born anew again from above. If we're honest, we confess that we have often pursued some of these other things, other uh, ways that we want to realize victory. Help us to find our victory that conquers in faithfulness to you, faithfulness to your message, and faithfulness to loving one another, loving one another well, even in when that's hard. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: For our sending, I will be reading a portion of the Breastplate Prayer of St. Patrick. I would suggest, or I'd encourage you, whenever you have the time, uh, look up the whole prayer. It is an incredible prayer. Christ, to protect me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me.
0: Go in peace. Have a great week.